0: bulletproof radio a state of high performance
1: today's episode is incredibly cool and you're going to want to listen through all the way to the end because you're going to hear about a bunch of different effects that happen during visualization placebo effects and this comes from a documentary filmmaker who has interviewed some of the biggest names in mindfulness and in personal development to understand what's really going on in there. And this all culminated into a documentary. But at the end of the show, you're going to hear a very interesting, very personal interview about what it's like uh, to be in a position to really economically uh, change things and just what a sudden shift in your perspective can do there. So this is the sort of thing that uh, you've never heard on Bulletproof Radio, and you are going to enjoy it because it's a fantastic interview. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that if you hit your head uh, like I did uh, recently, in fact, uh, my wife did too, funny enough, uh, she stood up and hit her her head on a cabinet door and gave herself a real concussion that we went to the Amen Clinic to diagnose that really affected her working memory. It turns out there's a new test that can test whether you really have a concussion just by spitting in a cup, which is a lot easier than injecting radioactive sugar, which is the way we do it today. There are small molecules in your saliva that help you diagnose and predict the duration of concussions, at least in kids, according to Penn State College of Medicine researchers. And they found these small molecules called microRNAs. And if certain ones are present in your saliva, you can diagnose a concussion. Most concussions clear up within a couple of weeks, but in about a third of patients, they stick around longer. And my experience is that. When we're doing uh, executives at 40 Years of Zen with advanced neuroscience, we can spot evidence of concussions from childhood in adult brains. And if you've heard some of the other episodes about brain injuries, you know, if you whacked your head, it really increases your chances of having PTSD. And Mark Gordon will tell you, look, there is no PTSD without traumatic brain injury. So it's kind of cool. Did it happen or did it not happen? You spit in a cup. The test isn't commercially available yet, but it probably will be. And this is the sort of stuff that really helps us Be better human beings, because if you know something's going on with your hardware, you can fix it. But if you don't know something's an issue, you're unlikely to work on fixing it. That's kind of cool. All right. Before we go into today's show, if you haven't had a chance to try the Bulletproof Fudge Brownie Collagen Bar, you're totally missing out. One of the things I do when I travel is I... Don't really like to eat on airplanes. In fact, I don't like to eat junk food either. I don't do it. So I carry some of these bars with me, but they're so good that I have this problem. I eat them because I want to eat them, and then I could eat at a good restaurant, but I just don't want to because they turn off hunger in a way that's completely ridiculous and they taste like dessert. So if you haven't had a chance, try the fudge brownie collagen bar and you will be so happy you did. They're available at bulletproof.com. All right, on to the show. Today's guest is Kelly Noonan Goris. She's an actress turned writer, director, and producer who just made a passion project, a documentary called Heal. And what she did is she followed the lives of people who overcame chronic disease and chronic pain by changing the way they think about it, by putting their energy into therapies based on belief and based on the belief that the body can heal itself with its own innate abilities. The reason she did this is that She's been looking at how minds, convictions, and life life choices, basically what you eat, the environment you live in, what you believe, how they can change your health. And this is probably because she's an LA native and has been a yoga practitioner for almost a decade, which means she's basically a hippie. Uh, With that introduction, Kelly, welcome to the show.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Funny.
1: All right. You have had a, a pretty successful career. Uh, writer, director, producer, actress—all these sorts of things. And of all the things you could have done, you could have shot some some cool drama or something, but you did a documentary and you interviewed some kind of big names like Deepak and Bruce Lipton and Michael Beckwith, Greg Braden. What made you go down that path?
2: Um, it's a great question. I, you know, like it's weird to say, but it was just a calling. Like all of these people I put in the film um, really impacted my life. They taught me you know, through their teachings, through their books, through their conferences, like life altering, transformational things that I applied in my life. And I saw my life getting better and better. And of course, film is the medium I'm comfortable with. I grew up acting. So, you know, rather than write a book, I wanted to just power pack this film, this documentary with all of my teachers that empowered me uh, to just really Feel like I was, you know, participating in my life through the choices I was making, through my thoughts, beliefs, um, emotions, and and at a time where I was probably thinking about doing the film for about ten years. But in the last, I feel like five six years, you know, especially recently, not a week goes by I don't hear of someone, you know, getting diagnosed with cancer. I think it's wild how many people are dealing with these chronic illnesses these days. So you know, now was the time more than ever, that people need to kind of take their power back and and know that they can participate in their healing and that our bodies are designed to heal.
1: Is this something that you had to deal with? I mean, were you chronically ill or you just saw it in someone close to you or like, it seems like you have a personal mission here.
2: I know you would think that, you know, luckily I'm, I'm very blessed. Both of my parents are alive and healthy. I never lost anyone, um, close to me to, you know, a, terminal illness. It's, it's a, it's just a weird, it's one of those weird things where I've always been a seeker. I have always sought to understand how things work, how the universe works, how our bodies work. And, um, I'm just fascinated with how, you know, the body is kind of a microcosm of the universe and how intelligent and interconnected it is. And, um, so the more and more I learned, the more I wanted to, you know, empower people.
1: Now you have an, a lot of experience as a writer and producer. And I did one documentary, one about toxic mold, where I flew around and interviewed a bunch of people. And I got to say, telling a story on film is incredibly difficult to do. It's incredibly expensive. And editing decisions, it seems like it's actually way harder than writing a book, which is itself a a very meaningful task. How long did it take you to do this film?
2: Yes, you're exactly right. Had I known, (laughs) I may have just written that book. (laughs) But um, it, the the entire process, I I, I set the intention um, because, as you know, my I'm married to a uh, a guy who has a very busy life. We're always traveling, so while he was very supportive of me doing my film, I wasn't you know it wasn't going to be a five year process. So I I was like, okay, I'm going to finish this thing in a year, which is unheard of for a documentary. Yeah. Um, so I it took a year to film, um, and then it took about we started the editing process you know, with about halfway through filming. Um, and editing is really where the storytelling happens as you, especially documentaries. We had, you know, 20 plus hours of interview footage and, and the end product is an hour and, and 45 minutes. Uh, plus these these women that we were following on these healing journeys. So there was a lot of content. So editing was definitely the um, the challenging part. It took the greater part of nine months to edit. But from start to finish, we're releasing on December 5th, and I hired my producer two years ago on that date. So it's exactly a two-year process.
1: So similar to the amount of time it takes to write a, a serious book. And for people listening, if you watch a one-hour documentary, there's 20 hours of footage. And to get that 20 hours of footage, you probably spent, I'm guessing, about 400 hours of planning, flying, flying, contracts like just the amount of effort and then editing time was i'm guessing two three hundred hours of editing time to do it so so what you're getting is a team of people working for in total 500 to a thousand hours compressed into a one hour window of the stuff that matters most and like that's invisible you watch like oh that was cool that was an hour of my time but it's one of the most valuable hours you can get and same with reading a book for four to eight hours how long it takes you it's like thousands of hours go into it so Those compared to this interview where there's probably eight hours of prep time between scheduling and then preparing and all that sort of stuff. So this is still compressed time, but I I would say it's worth your time if it's a topic that's interesting to watch a documentary just because – Uh, of just the the amount of work that goes in and what you're getting is sort of like the the extract. You know, the essential oils of a plant versus eating the whole salad, like you could just take a little capsule and it's easier. Anyway, that's a plug for how much work that I know goes into it that's invisible to people who haven't done it. And like my hat's off to you for doing it and making a career of it because, oh, it kicked my ass to try and do a documentary.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I have to watch that because I actually, that was on, on the journey. I didn't even know. But in hindsight, once I learned about mold, I had been exposed to mold and I, I had to, yeah, like three years ago, I had to go through the process of cleaning it out of my system. So yeah, I grew up by the beach. So definitely there was mold just in the water and, you know, probably in our home. But then I was exposed to black mold at a dingy little apartment in Santa Monica that affected my lungs and
1: everything. Oh, wow. So it, it's, this seems like it's happened to so many people. My producer uh, found out during shooting that she had a toxic mold problem and it just completely fell down. We went into a moldy environment to film and we're like, oh, yeah, you might have some work to do. Uh, and it it's funny because the guys you talk to in Heal... Uh, Guys like uh, Bruce Lipton, who writes about epigenetics, Uh, he's one of my favorite people. Has been a guest on on the show as well. Who informed my very first book about pregnancy and fertility. Like, oh wait, you can turn the genes on and off the environment. Like, this is a big signal. But it uh, like uh, that's not the the only signal I want to talk about at all. But you actually went down the path of epigenetics in the film, saying, okay, genes don't control things. What evidence do you put in the film to actually show people who? maybe believe that your genes are your destiny, like what, what's in there for them?
2: Well, um, the evidence that I put in is Bruce Lipton talking about it. I mean, I, okay. When I read biology of belief, it was one of those aha moments where I was just like, everybody needs to know this. So, um, the evidence is his, his research on how he discovered, uh, that the environment is what informs the expression and the activity of the cell. Um, so he explains it. And then, you know, we, in the context of just, you know, we were, it's, it, the whole film is basically saying, you know, we have more ability to heal than we've been conditioned to believe. And one of the, you know, in our Newtonian physics based Western medicine model, um, we are kind of taught that we're victims of our genes. And, you know, that might be true in two to 5% of these, you know, genetic mutations, but for the majority of, especially the chronic illnesses that are coming through the doctor's office these days, you know, they're really influenced by stress and these epigenetic factors. So just to give people that awareness, I thought Bruce was the guy to do it. Well,
1: Bruce is definitely the leading, leading guy in the field. And he took a lot of bullets because he went from being like this, one of the first guys to clone cells, like hardcore scientist. And now he's like, you know, God is in everything sort of things. And, 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 so people who are very science-minded and don't want to talk about spirituality are like, wait, like I, I'm going to reject all of the epigenetics thing because there's a spiritual component. But in your film, you, you go there. You talk about the spiritual side of things. After you've interviewed all these experts, after you've gone through all the, the stuff in the film, how important do you think spirituality is to genetics?
2: I mean, for, to me, it's, it's a lot. I mean, it's very important in my life. I think that what, you know, there's a, a researcher in the film named Kelly Turner and she, she made her, you know, research and, and, and project about, um, studying people that had spontaneously healed or, you know, her book is called Radical Remission. And, and having that spiritual connection and understanding was one of these nine factors that, that all of these people that actually were able to, you know, heal from these terminal illnesses that their doctors said they couldn't heal from. One of the factors was was spiritual connection, and I, you know, just meditation and all of these ancient healing modalities. You know, feeling that connection and that peace and that that faith. You know, I just think it's it's so fascinating to explore because you know, if there is this uh, higher power, whether we call it God or whether we call it the Intelligent kind of force in the universe that's keeping everything in in perfect harmony and balance uh, in nature. Then you know, having faith in that connection gives you this outlook on life. Having faith that the universe is good, it's always expanding. It's always pushing you towards your greatest unfoldment and your you know life hack of of being your your best most amazing self. If you if you really believe in in that God is loving and always you know, everything's happening for a reason and God is always there, Whether, whatever terminology you put it in, then that's that's a really powerful outlook of faith in life, in, in the good of life. And so that to me is, um, you know, and, and Bruce Lipton will argue that you have that belief about life, that perception will then, you know, send these signals into your cells and, and release brain chemistry that is life affirming rather than stress chemistry that is, you know, damaging to the immune system and, and shuts down and disrupts all the systems of the body. I don't know if that – I explained it well, but yeah.
1: Uh, that, I think you did explain it well. And I went through a, a lot of this because, like, well, sometimes it really doesn't look like you know things happen with, with the way they're supposed to happen. And honestly, there's a lot of crap going on that maybe we don't like. So I came to this conclusion that my nervous system is stupid – and it'll believe almost anything I tell it. So part of my meditation, like my, my gratitude practice, look, I'm grateful things happen the way they're supposed to happen. And I don't have to rationally, cognitively always believe that, but as long as my nervous system believes that, I'm probably getting the epigenetic benefits of that. So I, it's, I'm allowed to have rational, conscious questioning, and at the same time, have a spiritual connection and a spiritual belief that, hey, I don't necessarily know why, but I don't have to rationally believe that's always true as long as like I've tricked my meat into believing that. Do, do you think that approach might have merit? I, I don't know. Uh,
2: totally. I mean, <laughs> it's like fake it till you make it, you know, and, and pa- yeah. part of the, uh, yeah, it's a hundred percent. I like that. The nervous system is stupid. So you just you keep practicing <laughs> that gratitude and, and, you know, the visualization and, and you're tricking, they, they say that, you know, you're tricking the nervous system to start create creating those, you know, um, synapses and, and growing the nerves that is going to reflect that, you know, belief, whether you actually believe it yet or not.
1: And, and something magic happens to, if you program yourself to look for something, you'll probably find it better. And so if you're looking for abundance and, and good things, you might stumble across them. And that's been my experience in life. And can we prove it scientifically? No, but there's some cool stuff, including cool stuff in your film. Uh, let, uh, let's dig in. Uh, you talk about the placebo effect in the film. What's your take on placebo?
2: Well, to me, the placebo is you know kind of the scientific uh, evidence that you know what what Bruce Lipton is talking about. You know that your belief really affects you know the outcome, whether it's in life or or, or what's going on in your body. So. You know, they, they study, they, they, they have to, when they're testing drugs, you know, the placebo plays a big part to show the efficacy of these drugs. And to me, so they give this group a sugar pill um, and tell, you know, the control group that they're getting whatever medication they're testing, let's call it Xanax. And so a certain percentage of the people in the control group taking the sugar pill are going to believe they're taking the Xanax and their anxiety will drop or whatever the effects of Xanax are supposed to be. Um, you know, and they find that, in you know, especially in like antidepressant drugs and, and other drugs that the, the, the people taking the sugar pill will react, you know, 50% of them will have that same effect that they think they're getting or as much as up to 75% which just prove there. And there's Joe Dispenza talks about it in the film that they're, they're not just believing. And so they're, it's like a fully psychosomatic thing. It's, it's, they're believing it. And then because of that belief and expectation, their brain actually starts to release the chemistry that is anti-anxiety effect on the body. So I, I'm looking at it like we should be exploiting the placebo effect in treating patients rather than, you know, kind of just, using it, you know, because if you can, if we can learn to exploit and, and kind of embrace this placebo effect, and then use it to wean people off medication, you know, put them on medication in that acute traumatic instance where they might need a bridge to get through the hump. um, And then we can kind of, if we can learn to exploit the placebo effect, then we can, you know, really activate our own healing system and without the side effects, you know, that's where my mind goes. But I
1: used to believe, like, okay, only a weak, uh, a weak-minded person would be subject to the placebo effect, and, and if you could just see reality, you could ignore the placebo effect, and, and the drug would only work. Uh, yet, that's a very limiting perspective because, well, if you could just use the thing, and it, it led to this, this interesting idea where a friend of mine makes something called the X pill, and it's a pill that's labeled on the bottle that it's a placebo. You just basically take a little purple pill, and it has nothing active in it, and you just tell yourself what you want the pill to do. You put an intention in it, and you take it. And he has studies that show it works. I was at Burning Man this year, and he gave everyone one of these pills, and... Uh, When you go out to see the man burn, there's seventy five thousand people all wearing strange blinky outfits, and it's a madhouse. So one of our good friends gets separated from the group, and if that happens, you're pretty much never going to find them again. And so he's like, I don't know what to do. So I have this placebo pill. I'm going to take the pill to help me find my friends. <laughs> and he's t- he's totally like, What else can I do? Like like sort of making fun of himself almost. So he takes the pill, and like literally thirty seconds later, turns around and like finds everybody. And he's like, There, it worked. Now. We have no scientific proof that he wasn't just going to find us, right? So maybe the pill did something, maybe it didn't. But the point is he felt good about it. <laughs> so like why not harness this? It's never going to hurt you to use placebo for you, right?
2: Exactly. And that what a more playful way to look at life and, you know, and again, just like you said before, you know, what you if you looking for something, if you're putting your attention into that thing that you want, you know, through that X pill or whatever, poof, your friends show up, you know, you're more likely to find abundance if you're focused on abundance and not lack. So that just, you know, I love that.
1: You talk about something else in the film. Uh, You talk about the nocebo effect. Uh, Can you define nocebo and talk about the message behind it?
2: Yes. So Bruce Lipton calls the nocebo effect, um, like a negative belief. And this kind of has a personal, you know, story behind it with me because, um, I just remember my my all my grandparents died within two years, and it was just like devastating. And I remember um, the doctors told my grandfather that he had like six weeks to live or something and and sure enough, he died within like just that six weeks and And I was just thinking, you know, I knew for a fact, if they had not told him that six week mark, like he he could have lived beyond that, or whatever. so So nocebo is, you know, when someone tells you uh, like for, so that's why kind of one of the themes in our documentary is like, go to the doctor, get good medical advice, get the diagnosis with all these amazing advancements in technology that can give us the best diagnostics, but don't accept a prognosis, especially a negative one. Don't allow the doctor in the white coat to tell you what's possible in your life. Because if someone says that, you know, there's less than, 2% 2% of people can survive from this cancer well 2% did so you know I, my argument is the, the fact that you're giving that you're taking away people's hope and then of course their mind, fear is a powerful thing so if your mind is focused on dying in that period of time you're going to accelerate that process because it's stressful it's fearful and all that chemistry is shutting down your immune system and you can't heal so i'm just hoping that this film one of the messages is focus on what you do want focus let, we need to start retraining our brain to the best case scenario because we're kind of hardwired to focus on the worst case scenario and and that nocebo effect that that negative belief and uh, if you buy into that negative prognosis you know that has the ability to accelerate your disease pattern
1: so if you think you're going to die you probably are and if you think you're going to live you probably are
2: correct Really believe it.
1: Yeah. People sometimes give me a hard time because I've been really public and I'm very serious about the fact that I'm going to live to at least 180 years old. And it's like, guys, this conversation we just had about nocebo might give you a hint about why I'm public and why I actually believe this, because if I don't believe it, I'm pretty sure I won't. Right. And maybe I'll die trying. I, that's OK, too. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. Exactly.
1: <laughs> All right. So, so, limiting the negative beliefs and focusing on positive is, is a core message in, in Heal Your Documentary. Another thing you go into that I thought was really powerful is around visualization and healing. What is the role of visualization and how do you recommend people go about doing it?
2: Uh, so, there's a couple aspects to that. You know, uh, a few people in the, in the film that I interviewed, some of the experts, Joan Borisanko, Um, David Hamilton, who was an organic chemist working in the pharmaceutical industry. Now he's an author and promotes self-healing and, and self-love. Um, they talk about, you know, if you just, if you, again, it's the meaning that you apply to things. Uh, so, and, and actually one of the women that we follow in the film, she looked at her chemo. She, she always had this judgment of chemo as being poison, and she was, you know, acupuncture, yoga, she wasn't going to do the chemo. Uh, because she thought it was poison. And eventually, because of her state, enough people told her, You got to do this. So, um, she, but as she was going through a process, her she was working with this um, spiritual therapist, and she helped her change her mindset that poison was going into her system and killing everything to, Okay, this is targeted medicine. It's your friend, it's going in, it's targeting the cancer. So she started reframing how she was looking at this you know poison was now actually this healing elixir going into her body and just killing the cancer cells and because she reframed that she had she you know and and there was other factors involved so who you know again scientifically i'm not sure how much is attributed to the visualization but she had like you know a very small percentage of the side of normal side effects of chemo you know and um you know you have to watch the film but there's uh, David Hamilton talks about, you know, visual, visualizing, you know, in radiation, um, you know, the radiation as little beams of lightning, you know, uh, targeting the thing. So it they tell about all these stories, especially that's why kids are so great with their imagination. It's using your imagination to uh, enhance a story in your mind. And then it, they show that it has physical effects, positive physical effects on your body. And then the other part of the visualization is Joe Dispenza talks about how, you know, again, it's using your imagination to cause an effect, kind of like what you're saying about, you know, being in gratitude and and being grateful for kind of what you want, you know, before it's actually physical. And um, so he talks about, you know, visualizing, he healed his own spine by visualizing the spine, you know, being built one by one, the vertebrae. Um, and keeping his attention on that. And then also kind of using his imagination to feel those feelings of the things that, uh, he wanted to do that he was took for granted when he could walk because he broke his spine. So he's feeling the emotions of, of watching a sunset with a loved one. He's feeling the hot water and the, and this, this joy of being, you know, taking a hot shower and being able to stand up because he had been lying in bed for six weeks. And when he, he talks about how, you know, that, having that focus on the attention of those visualizations and combining that emotion, he caused the effect of his spine actually healing itself. And within 10 weeks, he was up walking again and and training for triathlons again. So that's like the power of the mind and the heart when you sync them up, what, you know, the effect it can have on your body.
1: I, I met a guy about eight or so years ago who was paralyzed, and he got a medical anatomy textbook and just studied it and just visualized every nerve pathway in the spine uh, for something like a year. And then one day just got up. And, and like, that, that's not possible. He's like, apparently it is because I just did. Right. And and so something in there is listening for sure. Uh, and visualization, it seems to matter. Uh, do you have a technique, either one from the movie or just one that you use for visualization that you think is really powerful that you might want to share with listeners?
2: You know, it's, it's I would say that Dispenza, you know, Joe Dispenza, he, he has guided meditations. But I think the important thing is rather than just using your mind and using your imagination is to really combine the emotion. So as, bring in as many sen- – yeah. in, your, in your visualization, don't just think with your head you want to feel with your body. You want, to, you want to taste, you want to smell, you want to feel the emotion of, of being healed or whatever it is you're visualizing and, 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 and focusing on and trying to bring about in your experience. Um, the real important thing is to combine that feeling with the thought. And then being grateful. Gratitude is like the uh-huh. anchor, like being grateful for that, having that wash over your body. Like gratitude to me is the most powerful creative emotion.
1: Uh, I, I've definitely got your back on that one. Uh, on the the feeling things versus seeing them in a visualization, this is missing from almost everything that that you'll find out there written about visualization. I was like, see this, like vision is a terrible way of visualizing, right? It's like feel this, like what does it feel like in your gut when when you sense it? That's where the real power comes, at least in my own practice. And I was appreciative that in Heal, uh, your documentary, you talk about like the real. Uh, the sensory parts of visualization that just go beyond like, Oh, what did it look like as if I was you know, filming myself? Cause you don't feel it when you film it. Right. Okay. What about the science behind meditation? You go into that in the film as well, which is cool. Cause a lot of people still think, Oh, meditation is non-scientific, but I'm like, well, there's like lots of studies, but what are the things that really stood out for you in terms of science of meditation in the film?
2: Yes. So, um, the cool thing is, you know, <laughs> meditation has been around for years and years and years. And in the ancient texts, There's all these kind of stories of how meditation and they show these like rainbows coming out of the pituitary gland through the body. There's all this art, you know, around meditation. And and Kelly Turner, the researcher, she's like, you know, you can scientifically prove now that these juices of life are literally flowing out from your pituitary gland and releasing all these healing hormones into your body, the endorphins and oxytocin and, you know, all of these wonderful things that, that help your body heal and thrive. Um, so there's that the most compelling thing I think is, is Joe Dispenza leads these, um, advanced workshops in meditation and he connects every, you know, the brain heart rate variability monitor, um, and the, you know, all the brain sensors up and they measure the brain waves. And so, so they've obviously proven that meditation lowers stress and that stress is causing like 90% of, you know, illnesses these days. Um, but what they what he what I thought was so fascinating is they measured your IgA levels, which is immunoglobulin A, which is your primary, the body's natural primary defense against bacteria and viruses. And so at the end of this four-day workshop, the IgA levels of all the participants was at the ceiling or even above what is considered high. And so that, to me, showed, he's like, it's better than any flu shot. You're literally, by meditating, by l- dropping yourself into that peace and, and releasing the stress and releasing all of that built-up energetic and emotional tension in your brain, you are boosting your immune system and your, your defense against all of these outside pathogens. So you're not as susceptible to get sick. I just I thought that was fascinating. I mean, that, that to me, is like, okay, great. If I, if I can get through cold and flu season by just meditating to
1: try I've talked with a few naturopaths or even Western doctors who practice chelation therapy around helping the body to drop toxic metals. And they've observed that people who do a personal development workshop or people who do a deep meditation, they can actually detox mercury faster. And that if they're like holding on to stress, that they actually won't detox properly, even if they take the drugs that help you get rid of, say, mercury or lead or something, which I found really fascinating. But that's the power of your beliefs on your core biology, right?
2: A hundred percent. Yeah. And it's also, it's just that kind of, you know, ease versus dis-ease. You know, if you're in any sort of resistance, if you're holding on to any sort of stress or suppressing emotions or, you know, anything like that, you're affecting your blood chemistry. You're in a state of resistance, which leads to a state of dis-ease. So the more you're meditation is going to drop you into that ultimate state of ease and you're going to release all this surface tension and, and, you know, emotional baggage. And, you know, so that puts you into the ease. So you're going to let go of things that don't belong in your system much easier. That makes total sense to me.
1: So do you spend like six hours a day meditating now? (laughs)
2: <laughs> no um but i do i do you do get kind of addicted to it and you notice i'm so aware of when i don't meditate that like little things just trigger me you know but if you meditate on a regular basis those things just like you don't get triggered you know you build this resistance of a good resistance you just don't you have such a a, a larger tolerance of of peace because you every day you're kind of letting go of the stuff that the buildup, basically, you're letting go of all that little buildup of frustration and stress and, and so that you just kind of get back to that zero, ready to deal with life. So I, I, I meditate at least uh, 20 minutes a day, you know, sometimes once in the morning and once in the afternoon when I can.
1: What kind of meditation do you do?
2: So I studied transcendental meditation. So I went through the whole process, got the mantra, went back, got the advanced mantra, Um, and sometimes I do that. And then I just feel there's amazing, um, guided meditations now that have kind of binaural beats or, or, or music combined that can actually the music, um, and the sound waves can actually do cool things to your brain while you're meditating. So depending on my mood, if I'm feeling like a little, like, ugh, I don't have the, self-control to work on the mantra right now um i'll just throw in a guided meditation so kind of or if i'm on a plane and i want to tune people out or a lot going on i just throw in the headphones and, and do one of those but <laughs>
1: wait a minute um, do you use the flashing goggles in airplanes too i do <laughs> no. and people no. totally freak I'm out because you're like yet. there's like all these flashing lights and your headphones are on and they're like what's going on inside that guy's head i think it's hilarious anyway i was, I was hoping you were the other <laughs> weird person doing that but it's just me <laughs> It's funny. Uh, you should try it once. Just film it. Get get someone to film you doing it. It'll be a little a little excerpt for people who who watch Heel. All right. Now I'm gonna ask you a hard question. Who was your favorite interview in the film?
2: Oh no, (laughs) we can't do that. Um oh my gosh. Honestly, like these were all my my teachers. I mean, one of the one of the craziest experiences for my producer and I and my cinematographer. As we went and um, interviewed Dr. Jeffrey Thompson, who is this sound, you know, he's a chiropractor, but he uses sound and he's very, he's this like scientific genius. I mean, he's just, you look at him, he's like a mad scientist with this heart of gold. And he's got all this technology that kind of hooks up to your body and can find the precise sound frequency that's going to drop you into the parasympathetic nervous system, the relaxation response. So I literally asked him one question and two hours later, he stopped. talking and we were just like holy moly and he like ended on the schrodinger's cat theory <laughs> we like our minds were just like exploding um so that was fascinating i mean he's a brilliant brilliant mind so i, I I was honored to get to tap into that. For a did few
1: hours. you do like the the director's cut or or un, uncut sort of thing? I looked at doing that, and we I think we did for a little while with moldy. Like I'm like I lo- I cut so much good stuff, and people want to hear it. It was like is that whole interview something that is available anywhere, or is it sort of on the cutting room floor?
2: Yes, so I feel this like moral obligation. Like you, like this is <laughs> such good information, I have to get out of there. So we cut. Um, we cut about 40 minutes of extra footage, like extra interviews and and kind of these topics that I felt were outside of the the 101 scope of the the lesson. Uh, So there's for the, if you get the DVD or buy it on iTunes, you get the 40 minutes of extra footage. And then I think um, we are going to release the extended interviews of, we're going to cut down uh, the extended interviews of every single expert we interviewed, um, including Bernie Siegel and a couple other people that got Uh, that didn't end up making the final movie. But um, yeah, because there's just so they say so many profound things. It's just, you know, you again, it's storytelling, you have to tell a coherent kind of fluid story. So it just didn't all make make it in.
1: You talk about something called the invisible forces of energy in the body. What is that?
2: <laughs> um, yeah, so the experts, you know, talk about that. You know, at at an atomic level, at at, at the quantum level, we're all just vibrating energy, right? So we're all vibrating at different. You know, the human body is vibrating at a certain frequency, and and everything is connected through this field of energy. You know, we're connected to the outer world. Our inner world is connected. So, um, and that 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 Bruce Lipton talks about how that field of energy where we're just literally waves of energy vibrating, um, you know, it communicates through things like thought, which is a signal we send, uh, emotion sends out a signal and a frequency from the heart. Um, so yeah, the, we talk about the quantum level, everything is kind of, it's kind of a cool way of looking at it because, you know, it, it helps us understand that things can be changed and shifted And aren't so permanent, you know, if we are just vibrating energy, like, that's why energy healing may work, you know, or prayer or vibration or sound, all of this affects the vibration and the frequency of, of ourselves, I would
1: say there's more than a little science supporting that even though it oftentimes doesn't cross domains. Uh, you look at what you do to make bacteria grow in a dish. You know they—they they, you see them like in films. They're always moving it because if they don't culture cells when they're moving the cell plate back and forth at just the right angle, just the right amount of stuff, they don't grow. And we know that vibration can make you tired. You know if you're in a, a noisy environment or you know just physical vibration is shown to increase stress on the body. It's like we know the body's listening to that stuff, but few. Uh, academic and medical researchers have gone down that path to say, well, wait, if we know it can cause harm, maybe it can cause good. And you found some of the top experts who are paying attention to that stuff and then saying, well, if it could do bad, how do we turn it on? Uh, Guys like like Jeff Thompson there, uh, which is super cool. And that's one of the things I liked about your movie is you're willing to go to these places where maybe we don't know everything, but we know there's an effect and we can hypothesize why. But frankly, we may not know why, but we can probably figure it out at some point.
2: Absolutely. Um, and and one, unfortunately, when you sp- speak to that, um, the example that comes up that I, I, I wanted to, to include him in the film as well, but unfortunately he passed away before I was able to connect with him. But um, Dr. Masaro Emoto, do you, are you familiar yeah, with his work? The, yeah.
1: the water guy. The
2: water guy. I think that is so compelling because we, the earth is 70% water, our bodies are 70% water, um, our cells, blood. And, and he... Showed scientifically that, you know, the words words have a vibration. Music has a vibration, and if it's, um, you know, words like love, grateful, thank you, um, beautiful, all of these words affect our cells. And and when you freeze, so so I don't know. Do you want me to tell the, the yeah, please, please. Okay. So he, you know, so he took a bottle of water. And he he labeled it with love, let's say. And then he took another bottle of water and he labeled it with hate. And then he froze the water. And under the microscope, he looked at the crystals um, of the frozen water. And the ones that were in the bottle of love were these perfect, harmonious, uh, beautiful crystals. And then the ones that were frozen um, under the label of hate were these just disjointed, you know, unharmonic like Ugly crystals, you know, per se, and they did the same thing with like music from the Beatles and heavy metal music, and so to me, it's that that just shows like these. If you're thinking, you know, self-hating thoughts or fearful thoughts, you know, that's affecting your cells vibrationally. That is going to be discordant and non, you know. But if you're if you're really feeding yourself, making loving decisions, and, and speaking to yourself, you know, and being grateful and having those emotions and Treating yourself and looking in the mirror and loving yourself rather than hating yourself—that's going to have a very different effect on your cells, and, and obviously a positive, life-affirming effect. I thought that's fascinating.
1: Well, something else that that really matters there is if you're thinking those thoughts about other people, it's probably affecting them too, and. That's why it's not enough to sit in in traffic and say, well, at least I didn't flip the guy off, but I hate the guy who cut me off or to sit in a, a boardroom and to be really pissed off at everyone, but smile and do the right thing. It You're still putting crap out into the world if you allow that stuff to happen in your nervous system. So I believe we have a duty of obligation based on my own experiences. And based on the stuff, a lot of what you've covered in Heal, just that, look, that stuff matters. And you can argue it matters for this reason or that reason. But if you haven't figured out how to kind of clean out your mental laundry, so you don't walk around thinking hateful thoughts most of the time, you're sort of like, you know, peeing in your own drinking water, but you're also affecting everyone around you. And like, we just can't do that as as good human beings. But most people on earth still struggle with that. And, how do you recommend listeners might tap into their minds to maybe do that less, you know, to, to have more of these things? Like, do you have like one big recommendation?
2: Oh man. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, we talk about again, it goes that it's kind of a spiritual, (laughs) that's a big question. Um, it's it's kind of back to that spiritual thing. You know, we're all one, we're all, you know, dressed in different clothing and different cultures, but we're all, We're all the same, especially, you know, again, down to the cellular level where our hearts are beating, our lungs are breathing, our you know, this, this, and if we think about it, like we're not consciously beating our hearts, we're not consciously breathing these things, this intelligent system that is, you know, allowing us to live, experience this life is doing it all for us. Like our bodies are so intelligent and it's constantly cleaning stuff up and, and that's everybody's system. And we may come in different packages, but we are all the same. And, you know, and, and what I've learned on this, you know, uh, journey of making this film is, and of how these positive emotions and love, compassion, gratitude, um, all of those things really affect the health of our bodies. And, and like you said, you know, and, and, and then to to the opposite effect, Hate, jealous, rage, anger—all of those things directly release chemistry into our bodies that is damaging and and leads to disease. So, um, not only for our own health, but just to just to start viewing people with that compassion for your own health, but also f- for them. You know, there's no separation. We're all the same. We're all in this together. Um, you know, I, I, how to get people to realize that in this chaotic kind of separate us versus them world is, I don't know. That's, <laughs> I hope you answer Wait, that. Can you answer that for us? Uh,
1: sure. Uh, turn off uh, Turn off the news and, and watch more good documentaries. That, that, <laughs> like <laughs> one of the simplest things you really exactly. could do is have a really powerful filter that when someone is trying to put something into your brain, pay attention. And if it's not something that turns on the good stuff and it turns on uncertainty, fear, and doubt, turn it off and and do something else and and that's a really simple thing because we know that we're wired to survive which means we're exceptionally tuned to things that might be scary things that might cause fear so we're we're hyper responsive to those which means you have to lower your dose and when you do that it sort of effortlessly lowers the background fear stress and anxiety in the body and that's something that I think everyone can do, whether or not they have a spiritual practice, whether or not they're willing to meditate or do any of the more advanced stuff that you talk about in the film. It's like, look, let less crap into the system. That seems like a low hanging fruit. But I mean, I, I my own path is a lot of neurofeedback and, and things like that to the point. I don't really have the mean voice in my head at all anymore. Like like I am a very different person than I used to be because like there isn't a harsh inner critic. It, it's just finally shut the hell up. And I'm grateful for that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah and that's 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 amazing and and Peter Crone is a guy in the film, and he's been a huge teacher in my life and in the film, he ended up kind of being the Ayurvedic guy, but he's so much more than that he's actually really gets people to just kind of free their mind from that judgment and from that separateness, and he gets people to believe you know that life is really for us, nothing's against us and and to get you to that that self acceptance so that you can accept others and allow others to be whatever manifestation they are because of whatever history they have. And and just to really be okay with life and be okay with how everybody is behaving and, and just being okay with yourself. And he, he's so powerful. He's such a powerful teacher um, that I wish I could articulate it as well as he does. But yeah, to live from that place, just to really accept life and accept people as they are. Um, is such a freeing place to live. And, and if you're in that energy all the time, which it seems like you are, then you know it is possible to live to 180 years old. <laughs> I'm
1: at least 180. At no least. limiting thoughts here.
2: <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> now, uh, one of the things that, that kind of popped into my mind there is that when we're, we're going through that, that sort of that angry, cranky voice in our head and we're working on, on what can you do with that, is just the knowledge that whatever it's saying is probably not true, that that seems really important. And one of the things that completely blew my mind was that I wish I remembered which personal development thing it was at, but I used to have a pretty substantial problem with road rage. Like I had excessively large muscles on my middle finger. Uh, and uh, someone was talking me through this and I'm guessing this was maybe the Star Foundation, probably Barbara Fendison, uh, the, the founder of the American Pre and Perinatal Psychology Association. This is many years ago. And she's like, look, someone cuts you off in traffic and you can say it's because they disrespected you because you know, they thought they're more important than you. But you could and, and that's a story, but you could just as easily say, look, they're cutting in front of you because they're on their way to the hospital to see their child right before they die. Right. Like, like you just don't have any idea. So after that, I'm like, you know what? <laughs> it's I'll just choose that story. It's like, there you go. Have the space in front of me. Uh, and it's it, it just doesn't cost you anything. Right. And, and for me, that was a big shift to just realize I was believing my own BS. And if it doesn't pass the rational test. Uh, you you want to just tell yourself some other lie because they're both lies. You have no idea what's going on. It's the truth, right?
2: <laughs> that's exactly right, and that's the, exactly you know. And rather than take everything personally, you know, and and that's another thing Peter talks about in the film. It's like you know whether you're stressing about the future that you don't want or focusing on the, the best case scenario that could happen. Both of them aren't true. They're not true yet. So pick the better choice. Pick the. Right pick the compassionate story that you're going to give, you know, the person that cut you off, don't take it personally and don't focus on that. You know,
1: there's also a a mental illness where people just believe that the world has a conspiracy against them. Everyone's out to get them and all. And there's the flip side of that, which is also a mental disease whose name I don't remember. And this is one where you believe that there's a conspiracy in the world to do everything you want. Now, I don't rationally believe that there's a conspiracy like that, but I've told my nervous system to the best of my ability that actually there is like the world is lined up to do everything the right way for you. And you know, man, that's relaxing. So (laughs) (laughs) like I can know it's not true, but I can feel it's true. And just that difference between thinking and feeling and to separate those out. I think that leads to relaxation. So I would offer that for listeners like, okay, just tell yourself there's a conspiracy to make sure everything happens the way you want it to happen. It's totally self-deception, but it's good self-deception, right? Either that or we're all crazy. Or both. All right. Let's talk about something else that's not in the film. Last year, you married a multi-billionaire. Did you visualize that first?
2: (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, but I did. (laughs) I did. um, You know, I think about 10 years ago... I started, uh, like I said, gratitude is a big, powerful force in yeah. my life. And I started playing with this idea of a gratitude journal, uh, and it, which is kind of, ri- I'm, I love writing. So writing is a big tool for me. So um, when I, I learned about this, you know, being grateful for this exercise where you can be grateful for things uh, that you want as if you already had them and kind of play with that visualization, I started doing that in a journal. And at first you feel really stupid and you feel really silly and you're like, oh God, what if anybody ever reads this? It's crazy. But I started doing it and it was kind of therapeutic and relaxing. Like you said, it's like fantasizing about what you want. And so then it's just started to kind of get like just a nice exercise I would do at the end of the night. So I would more write about qualities of the guy, like, you know, liked to do things, similar things that I do, could afford to travel, like likes camping, but also appreciates a really nice hotel, you know, um, uh, obviously qualities of the the human and the heart. Um, so intelligent, you know, generous, kind, compassionate, um, tall, dark, and handsome, of course, you know, but I would, <laughs> but I mostly write about qualities of life. Like I wanted to be able to afford, you know, I want to be financially free. I want to, be able to afford to do the things I want to do when I want to do them and not, and not stress about money. You know, I grew up in a household that there was always stress about money. So that was my, my goal. And, and I actually had the idea, like, I want to make my own money because I don't want to have the same arguments that my parents had fighting over money. So I was never going to be dependent on any man. I was going to do it on my own. And, uh, so interestingly enough, the gratitude journal started working, you know, I, I manifested this job that I didn't even know existed. And I started earning like way more money than I had ever earned before as a fit model. I didn't even know they existed. But um, <laughs> so that was cool. That happened about three months into this gratitude journaling process. And then um, then I met my husband, you know, a year or two later and we were dating and i was kind of getting him at he had been married before and then he had been single um for an extended period of time and he was kind of like in that bachelor phase thing he just wanted to date he didn't want to settle down he probably wasn't going to get married again and so but i was like in love with him the minute you know and it was obviously it was not for i mean anyone who knows me it was not because of his money it was because of who he is um He's like the most generous guy on the planet. He loves having fun. He loves spending money on the people that he loves and f- for good experiences and to bring joy into their lives and have and have fun. He's you know he loves a good party. Um, and so I've just had this real big heart connection with him. And but he was in his bachelor phase. So he was still dating a bunch of other girls. So I kind of participate I implemented that into my into my gratitude journal. I wasn't like you know, I'm so happy and thankful that so-and-so, you know, is no longer dating these other girls and is in love with me. I just started looking at his qualities, extracting the ones that I thought were just the reason I was in love with him, his amazing heart, his uh, incredible creativity and in business, um, you know, his fearlessness in life and his love for travel and fun and, and all these other things we had in common. And then I looked at the things that i wasn't really liking in our (laughs) dating life because there was other girls involved and he wasn't ready to settle down. And I, and I implemented those qualities in there. So like he adored me, you know, ready, you know, wanted more kids, wants to get married, um, you know, those things that, that were not happening over here. And, and I just had in my head, okay, like I'm either going to manifest someone else that is Alec and then some or he was going to rise up and become that person, and that's what he did. He kind of literally transformed into that person that I was kind of focusing on. So rather than focusing on you know the the pain and the stress that was happening because the, my relationship wasn't working out the way I wanted it to, he kind of transf I was just focusing on what I do want and moving on with my life. And he ended up coming back around and and be growing up into that man. And I just thought that was so fascinating to me because it was such a testament of like, focusing on what you want and, and looking at these beautiful qualities that he has and then looking at what wasn't working and then making that me be aware of what I did want and then putting that into the package. And sure enough, he became that, that person.
1: What, what a beautiful way of, of describing that. I, I hope that all of the single people listening to this just heard what you said. Like That's so profound. Uh, so you know, fo- focus on, on what you want and gratitude and maybe it'll happen. And it, it did for you now that you're in a in a different economic bracket than most of us oh, did it make you happier
2: um yeah <laughs> i <In laughs> always yes. <laughs> i mean look i have a wonderful wonderful life but it it wouldn't be it wouldn't have made me happier had you know if i wasn't with someone that was yeah. willing to grow and evolve in this relationship and I mean we really have so much in common and he he really is kind of like this without being calling it spiritual he's very like willing to take responsibility he's not you know set in his ways he he wants to he's just a compassionate human and he's a generous guy and um he so we we have a great healthy relationship you know so if we didn't have that communication and we had you know, of course, and we've, we both have, you know, past stuff that still triggers us, but we, we work through it. We talk about it. We, we, we both take responsibility because we're just, we're leading with our heart and we're in it together, you know? So I am happier because I'm in a great relationship and I have this beautiful life and able to do so many wonderful things that I love and able to, to give and then, you know, do this project that I, that I was, I felt a calling in my heart to do. I mean, to be able to do that, um, and be supported is is like what you dream of
1: did uh, we'll say sort of waking up one morning uh, your uh, day after your wedding and just going wow like i i have the ability to to do whatever i want to do did it change your your energy did it change your your spiritual outlook Uh, like like did it open your horizons like what did it do on that that level that you go to when you're visualizing when when you're sensing things
2: yeah um I think that, you know, I, I catch myself still having limiting thinking, uh, limited thinking. And I, and I try just as a spiritual practice and kind of personal development to kind of go beyond that. So like, you know, we have this idea that we're only going to live to 90 years old or whatever. Um, so to go beyond that, you know, okay, maybe we can live to 120 and then to go beyond that, like, Oh no, I'm going to live to at least 180. (laughs) Like, so I'm constantly trying to, exercise and, and expand my, what I think is possible because my husband does that naturally. He, he doesn't think anything is impossible. Um, as far as money, I kind of, I witness so many people around money that it tweaks them a little bit. Yeah. So I'm constantly putting myself in check and, you know, I don't never to be entitled and then also never to fear loss. That was another thing. Um, while I was, you know, cause Alec and I dated for seven years before getting married. And, um, you know, I always looked at it as the universe. And because of the gratitude to work I was doing and this life that I was visioning, the universe was providing through Alec or God or whatever terminology I want to use. Uh, so I was always very conscious of not to hold on to Alec as like my saving grace or my reason for abundance. And I had to. So there was, there was never that pressure of you're my lifeline. I have to do everything to make this relationship work. I really trust and I live in this trust that if it wasn't Alec, it'd be through my, you know, some other avenue. So um, I'm just trying to stay conscious around it as much as possible, not entitled and really respectful of how hard he's worked to create this life. I mean, he worked his tail off for 40 years, you know, he still works hard, but I mean, he sacrificed a lot and worked honestly and and so hard, Um, never lived beyond his means, gave everything away to his parents and his family while he was creating this business. I mean, he's the true kind of American dream immigrant story. But um, so I'm just conscious of that, like how hard he worked, you know. So I just try to keep as as grounded and, and and grateful as I can around this crazy life.
1: I've spent a, a good amount of time around hyper-successful people, partly because they reach out around cognitive enhancement and because they, they do my my brain training program. And, and so I've gotten to know them, and, and there's kind of two buckets. And, and there's a group of people who have substantial assets and are terrified of losing them. And they kind of walk around with this, like like this buzzing anxiety that's like, oh no, like what if my asset allocation model isn't right? Like, what if something happens and like like I I won't I won't have this protection blanket. And then there's another group who who believes that everything is possible or believes they have like a a moral obligation to do something meaningful with, with the money. And they're those are like the happiest people I've seen, not because they have money, but because they have a desired, they have a mission. And like now I can like fuel my mission with it now that you're recently kind of you've, you've shifted gears I mean, you guys dated for a long time, but you're married. Like, do you feel a, a moral obligation to do something meaningful with, uh, you know, with, with your position now? Or is is it one of those like, like, like what are you going to do with it all?
2: Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, I, I actually am kind of like a minimalist at heart, so I don't like, I get anxiety if I accumulate too much stuff. So, you know, what else is there to do, but do good with resources that we have, you know, and, and we both love to give, we both, um, it feels amazing. It feels really good, but also just to, you know, make life better for other people, especially starting with our loved ones and then beyond, you know, so just starting with this film, you know, it's, it, it's a passion. It was a calling. Like I had to do it. It was, it was something that every time I, you know, heard one of the teachers that I put in the film talk, I was just like, people need to know this. So I wanted to share. So, you know, next, um, you know, I like to just, it was, it's when you work so hard at something, you need passion to drive you. Otherwise you get burnt out. So um, I'm just going to kind of go with the flow of life and see what that next passionate mission is. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's really nothing else to do with, with money except for enjoy it with, with loved ones and then, you know, give back and improve. Society. So
1: you don't have a, a single big mission, but you go from mission to mission as you, so as you find them. That's that's your model.
2: So far, I mean, you know, yeah. a lot of people are coming to me like, "When's Heal Two coming out?" Or this should be a TV series, you know, which it may well turn into because there's so much to explore. And I am passionate, just like you are, about life hacking. I am passionate about really understanding how, like, just how how powerful our minds can be in influencing you know, our lives and co-creating and, and our, and how, what the body's capable of doing and, and really kind of embracing that, um, and understanding it better. But, um, but yeah, also like there's so many causes I'm passionate about. So I'm kind of, I, I think I will probably flow from cause to cause. I love animals. I love, you know, wildlife. I love obviously children. I think schools need some major transformation, especially in this country. Oh yeah. So, um, It'll be interesting, but I think I'll probably flow to to many causes.
1: Beautiful, beautiful answer. Now, one more question for you. If someone came to you tomorrow and they said, Kelly, I want to perform better at everything I do as a human being, based on your whole life's journey, what are the three most important pieces of advice you'd have for me? What would you offer them?
2: Oh, Lord. Uh
1: (laughs) You thought this would be an easy interview, didn't you? Yeah,
2: I was just going to be like, (laughs) just go to Dave's website, Um, (laughs) bulletproof.com. Follow whatever he's doing. Um, I think for sure meditation, um, you know, or some version of that. There's, you know, we talk about in the film, like prayer is a version, uh, meditation, uh, walking and connecting with nature, you know, finding that peace, whatever that is for you. Um, I think that's a great, especially in the inundation of information these days, like you need that, you need that anchor in your life, a, a way to kind of disconnect and go within and and reconnect with your intuition and, and find that peace. Um, and then also gratitude. Uh, being grateful can shift whatever's going on. So um, gratitude is the most powerful kind of shifting transformational thing, whether it's to attract something into your life that you want, to shift out of this downward spiral of fear, that you just if you if you're dealing with a health challenge, um, gratitude is a real, um, the most powerful disruptor and transformer. So, I think some practice around gratitude is is huge, and then obviously, um, you know, detoxing your food, your environment, uh, really becoming educated on what these chemicals are in the, in the products you're putting on your skin, uh, the products you're using in your home. And then most importantly, the food that you're eating because that, you know, that just, that, there's so much crap in our food. Uh, so the, the cleaner that you can eat, you know, the, the, not only physically healthier you'll be, but mentally as well. I mean, my, your, your diet is so, so connected in your gut health into, you know, your mental health and, uh, so, I think those would be the three gratitude, meditation, um, and, and, and nutrition.
1: Beautiful. Love those answers. And I, I really appreciate your documentary, Heal. And thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio. Can you tell people where they can find out more about the documentary?
2: Yes. So, you can um, go to HealDocumentary.com and find out everything there. You can certainly follow us on Facebook, um, Heal Documentary, as well. And we are out December fifth on iTunes and and you can order the DVD, iTunes, Amazon, any of the any of the VOD platforms, um, and then you know beyond that we'll be on Netflix and, and and television eventually.
1: Beautiful. Thanks again for being on the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a it's been a pleasure.
1: If you like today's episode, you know what to do. You should go out and watch Heal because. You can learn a lot from the people who are in the film. You don't have to have a strong spiritual practice. You don't even have to believe any of this stuff. You just have to trick your nervous system into believing some of it, and you can reap the benefits. Now, the side effect of doing that is that you might actually find that there's more to it than that, and it might be a slippery slope, and you might find you actually decide that you are going to meditate or not. But the deal is you spend an hour of your time, you watch a documentary, and you're going to get some really cool ideas. Uh, Some of them can be a little bit mind-blowing, but the stuff is real, and we don't always know why it works, but there's enough evidence today, way more than there was even 20 years ago, much less 2,000 years ago when a lot of these practices started, that it's totally worth an hour of time watching it. So I, I highly recommend it. And if you like it, leave good reviews wherever you review things. Give it a thumbs up on Netflix. And while you're at it, if you like this episode, go to Bulletproof. dot com slash iTunes take you right to the page. You can leave a quick review that says this was worth your time. I'd appreciate it. And there you go. You could show some gratitude.
0: The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey.